Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Uh, <laughs> a different camera setup than we've done before, but uh, we're here on our YouTube channel in addition to the podcast today. And shithouse drunk because we recorded the previous episode right before this. So, uh, yeah, we're here. We're going to open some, uh, some packages because this is a code 47. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. You made a huge mistake, Ben, because you got me drunk and you gave me a knife. <laughs> I gave you a, a knife that's short enough that I've stuck it through. I've snuck it through transportation, security administration, checkpoints several times and not felt that bad about it. And... You just get pulled over by them for everything else. I know. They never catch it. It's, it's absolutely banana cakes. I keep waiting for that moment. Yeah. But they do not catch the knife. They, <laughs> they want to see what's in my bags. It's deeply troubling, ultimately, is what it is. And disappointing for me, because I want to see Ben briefly imprisoned. Yeah, that would be great. Um... We have a bunch of mail here. Um, first couple are just postcards. Here's a, our first one. Some cool shuttlecraft designs. I guess this is an Enterprise E shuttle from the look of it. Let's see. It says, if you're ever in the mood for Korean barbecue, when you're in the Boston area, there are a lot of good options, but the best might be Koreana outside Central Square in Cambridge. And for cocktails, check out the back bar in Union Square, Somerville. And that's from Cheeve. Everyone we... wants us to go to Cambridge every uh, time we go to Boston. Have you yeah, noticed that? That's true. I mean, we were uh, we we're right nearby at the ones in Somerville the first time we did a show in Boston, but that was not a good venue for us. It wasn't, no. But Cheeve, we actually met in the uh, in the meet and greet line. It was at, big fun. At the, at the Boston show. And man, I wish we had read this before we went because... Uh, and KBBQ is always something we enjoy. Instead, we just ate oysters. Yeah. Lots of oysters. We did. As we're wont to do before a live show, we'll eat oysters. Yeah. We're so stupid. It hasn't bitten us yet, though. Yeah. We've, we've gotten very lucky. This is another, looks like another Enterprise E thing. And it says... Adam and Ben, apologies for sending this without first getting clearance from the card daddy, but I just wanted to say thank you for an outstanding live show in Brooklyn. I was all caught up for the Boston show last year, but I'm sorry to admit that my viewing of your podcast dipped off after that because I've had a hard time watching Voyager. <laughs> but your live show, not to mention fun hangs before and afterward at Hinterlands with FODs, reminded me that what you're reviewing is only half the reason to tune in. Mm. Who's reviewing it is a much better reason. I'm really enjoying catching up on the, all the pot I missed. Lastly, I wanted to express my gratitude for your tour locations. I've gotten to go to shows in Boston, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia, 
Really appreciate it anytime you come to the Northeast. Thank you, Chief. Also, a letter from Chief. At any given moment, an FOD only has half of a reason to tune in <laughs> to our show. Yeah. Really great image of the uh, Enterprise E here. A, yeah. a ship that I don't prefer. But, Not a handsome ship. But it looks great in that in that angle. Yeah. Yeah, look, it looks as good as it's possible to look. I mean, I think it kind of also helps that we've had some drinks, mm-hmm. so it does look better. I'm just a little preoccupied with the fact that you stabbed a knife into the surface of an antique table that I inherited from my grandfather. Hmm. Was your grandfather a good man in the in the Spielberg sense? He was a great man. Hmm. Some would say the best man. You know what's unusual about that statement, Ben, is that like he may have been a great man, but he did not leave it up to history to decide. <laughs> he just went ahead and decided he would be a great man. Yeah, he just went and, went and did the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Gonna leave this knife in the table, though. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. This one uh, <laughs> uh, seems to have come from some international destination. Oh, it looks like maybe uh, maybe the United Kingdom? Mm-hmm. And it looks like maybe some of the label went over a message to us. Oh. It's a... I, I'm gonna... Something s- about your grandfather? I'm gonna see if I can... It says, I just realized that the something, 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 sound like I'm a child, but I'm in fact a very grown-up teacher. Okay, so this is from Amy uh, in the UK, and uh, I'll let you do the honors of opening this package, Adam. I've uh, withdrawn the knife from your grandfather's antique table. Thank you. Thank you for unstabbing my table. My inheritance. (laughs) The one thing I inherited. Mm. (laughs) Not a great man, nor a wealthy man, your grandfather. He was great. He just wasn't wealthy. It's possible to be great without being wealthy, Adam. In these United States? Really? Oh. Maybe not in the UK. There's a a, a very long message here. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Oh, this looks like a zine. Let me read you about what this is about. Dear Ben and Adam, thank you for all the amazing pod. Your podcasts are my go-tos for any time I need cheering up, and have persuaded me to be more open in sharing my embarrassment. I even had a Picard mouse, Matt Custom, made for my desk at school, so now children regularly ask me why I have that old man on your desk. <laughs> the, 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 you know what the questions long... you shouldn't have asked at your school? Hmm. What's that old man doing on your desk? <laughs> like, only second to why did you put such a long pause in between Mouse and Matt? Yeah, that was, that was for drama. <laughs> I have enclosed a zine slash creative writing project my sister found in a record shop for some reason. Oh, man. I'm confident the writer must now be a listener. If indeed it is not a pen name for Ben. Mm. Thanks again, Amy. So what Amy has included here is a zine by Joshua Chapman, and it is a field guide to the aliens of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. And 
I am very excited that we received this because I I think I have the season five. That issue really looks handwritten of this zine. I, I have another issue of this exact zine for a different season of Star Trek. And the fact that this came all the way from the UK is maybe the most amazing thing about this because I think I bought mine in like Seattle or Portland at like a zine store. Hold on a second. You bought something like this? I did. What, spending how much money did you spend on this? Like three dollars max. You can see on this on the cover there's a there's a dogman. Yeah. And a lizardman. Yeah. Dog versus lizard was a. And a binar. Oh man, there's a binar. There's a whole thing on data in there. There's a whole thing on Troy. Season one, like you get you get aliens from the main cast. When you get the zine. You know what? I've always thought Binar was kind of a spectrum, man. <laughs> oh, boy. There are a lot of pages about the Code of Honor aliens. Oh, boy. <laughs> are they aliens or racist caricatures? I think it's worth it to give a lot of pages to the Code of Honor aliens. The, like, beautiful cursive handwriting is one of the most charming things about this scene. <laughs> I also think it's weird that they made these guys black. <laughs> I mean, I think it's fine that there are black aliens. <laughs> but they walk around like they're characters from some really old racist cartoon. <laughs> They wear turbans and puffy pants. <laughs> and I don't see why they didn't just go all the way and have them constantly walking around. I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> I'm not going to finish that sentence. This is what passes for, for woke culture in 1990. Finishing that sentence would end our show. Yeah. I'm not drunk enough to do that. You're nearly drunk enough to do that, but not quite. Um, Amazing. I notice you've stabbed that knife back into my uh, ancient table. Here's what I want to show the friends at DeSoto. There is a crack through this table in which I have I have merely pressed the knife into. Mm. It's not making new stab marks. It's just occupying okay. stab marks that already existed. Uh, this next package is from Donna M. in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. Back to where... Uh, Chief lives. We're oh, back yeah. to Boston. Oh, you're gonna have me open this up again? Yeah, I love it. You're you're on knife duty today, buddy. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like you were okay with that initially. Well, I didn't realize at the time it would involve damaging priceless family heirlooms, but uh, that's what you get when you invite me over, Ben. <laughs> I guess so. I guess that is where we are as a podcast. All right. Hopefully. Uh, a package that will not get us canceled. It's heavy. It's heavy for its size, wouldn't you say? I, yeah, I would. I would say it's heavy. Are there like gold bars in there, or like. Okay, ingots? what do we got here? Oh, then we've got magnets from the magnets. Ele- magnets are heavy. They're made out of iron. That's one of the heavy metals. From the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. I love the the uh, Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. You know that the teens call it the IGSM. Do they really? Yeah, they're so fucking. Cool. Got a couple for me too. We gotta start thinking about Vermeer as a brand. 
That is what the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum has done. God, it is a it is a monument to veneer. <laughs> <laughs> ben, we've got a letter here from Donna. The message goes like this: Greetings, Uxbridge Shimoda crew. First off, I'd like to thank all of you for making such a great pod. Thank you, Donna. Greatest Trek is. Oh, this isn't even for our show. It's for Greatest Trek. Fuck! God fucking damn it! Greatest Trek is truly an all-time favorite for me. As a token of my esteem, here are some mementos from a recent episode of Strange New Worlds. Oh, man. These come to you from my place of employment, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, not the Louvre. That's... Wild. I love the fact that their friends of DeSoto is working at the Gardner Museum. I have really enjoyed my visits there over the years. To which I cordially invite you to visit while you're in Boston next. Live long and prosper. Love, Donna. This wow. is this is the second straight message we've gotten from people in Boston or Boston adjacent who are like, come visit our thing. Yeah. We've already been there. Hey, listen, I am sad to say that we did not get to go to that museum when we were in Boston on the Sherry Embarrassment Tour, but... Instead, we just spent all our time on the docks. Yeah, slurping oysters. Um, but, uh, hey, I want you guys to step up your security and keep your art under a little bit more careful lock and key before I go back next time. I'm sick of seeing those those spots in the walls with the nicotine stains around where the paintings used to be. You're talking about your hotel room? It's the thing. That there's been famous art heists at the Gardner Museum. I did not know that. Yeah. At the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Check out the what they do with the S and the T. Is there a name for that? Oh, I don't know. They combine them into a fun little uh, logo. The T and the E oh. are combined. See? See? The T and the E are combined. See? That's like the, the A and the E that's one letter. I know. Like an orthopedic. <laughs> orthopedic. <laughs> hey, I could always use a magnet. I'm really glad I have these from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And our next package here is from Robbie in Arlington, Virginia, which is also a place we were very near recently. Also a place where uh, members of my... Ancestry are buried. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's pretty surprising. I'm not just dropping a knife into their uh, grave plots. <laughs> too, I bet. No kidding. I'm surprised you're not pissing on this package the way you've pissed on the graves of my ancestors. No letter. Oh, we got a letter. Oh, okay. good. Here's what we got. Star Trek's Dead of Honor looks like a. Uh, oh. Oh, man. It's a graphic novel. Check this out. Here's the card. You know what I love? A person who has their own stationery. This is from the Reverend Robbie Lofton. Wow. La dee da. I'm reluctant to read a letter from a reverend just because I feel like they would hate me. Yeah. Let's see what this reverend has to say. Dear Ben and Adam, on a recent deep dive into the history of Marvel Comics, I learned that famed unpopular X-Men writer Chris Claremont wrote a Star Trek graphic novel for DC immediately after leaving Marvel. Whoa. Sounds like a Spike comic. Yeah, no kidding. 
Now, you may think that the first adventure of the Enterprise A is documented in everybody's favorite film, Star Trek V, but what my theory presupposes is that Claremont wrote a far superior outing in Star Trek Dead of Honor. Wow. That's what that is. We've thought a lot about this on the Share Your Embarrassment Tour, like what happened in between four and five. This is an early, early page in this comic book. What what this comic book presupposes is maybe uh, Kirk and uh, our favorite whale biologist went on a sexy vacation together. Wow. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I like seeing wet Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. Look at how wet he is. I mean, he's 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 wetter than she is. Oh yeah, absolutely. But not by much. Those basements are dry as a bone. <laughs> Look at this Kirk face here. I just want to show you this. Look at that guy. Guy's happy to be there. Yeah. That is uh that is really something. Wow. I can't wait to read this. Big fun. Hey. Thanks, Reverend. This came from a a, a man of the cloth? Yeah. Amazing, right? Seems too horny for that. I know. Hey, there are some horny men of the cloth. <laughs> I think we know that. Yeah. Do we have any other, any other packages, Ben? Yeah, we got a couple more packages, Adam. Let's roll through them. Let's you want to open this one up? Okay. This one is from our buddy John Green in Brooklyn, New York, who uh, friends of DeSoto will remember as the author of The Investigators. Mm. Oh, that boy. looks like another book. It is another book. And uh, like we also have a letter. Look at this beautiful cardstock that John Green writes his letters from. That's bone. Hello again, Ben and Adam. Nothing super impressive this time. Just sending these latest copies of my investigator series. You may have recently plugged it via a priority one. This is the installment with quite a number of Greatest Gen and Greatest Trek references. It's a bit of a scavenger hunt. Page one has a slight nod to your love and appreciation of one or two of your oft-mentioned favorite submarine films, just to get you started. Anyway, thanks for the continued laughs and entertainment. Sorry I'll again miss a live show, as I will be on book tour myself. All the best, John Green. P.S. Feel free to keep a copy or share one and send another to... Wendy, Bill, or a slick back in need. Page one goes with uh, a binoculared person looking off into the horizon. They say the water's cold this morning, Captain. <laughs> mm, cold and wet, says the other gourd. Great Scott! Yes? What's that? And in the binoculars, uh, there appears to be a life raft. Oh my god, they got Captain DeSoto on the life raft. Amazing. Captain DeSoto on a life raft. You know, we should do uh, we should do a bonus episode of just you and me reading a book for someone to go to sleep by. No one's ever thought of that idea before. No, nobody. But uh but we have, and so we should do it. I agree. Uh, this is great, John Green. Thank you for sending another one of your smash hit investigators books. I'm looking at your bookshelf, and you have four of them on your bookshelf. I got, 
this is this adds to my huge collection that I look forward to reading with Darone when Darone is old enough to enjoy. You know, I went into your house to uh, use the bathroom. Yeah, did you see Darone? Darone was not happy about that at all. Oh, he he got he got cranky. He did not enjoy my presence. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big he, upset. He gets cranky when I go in too because I'm I'm not going in to stay and and hang out with him. Yeah. So I I, I choose to interpret it as that. He 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 loves you tons. Uh, okay. Last package here comes from something called Laundry in Portland, Oregon. Mm. Laundry. I like our chances of something good in this box. I have, have a good feeling about this. I don't think there's any note in here. I, wow. think it, I think it's just a pair of hats. These hats look so great. These are Star Trek V The Final Frontier hats from LaundryPDX.com. The thing about Laundry PDX is, like, these look like vintage hats. These don't look like remakes. They have, like, vintage store smell, too, you know? Mm, like, they like, do. Like, when you walk into, like, a cool, curated... Like, when you walk into an old house and it feels like they're about to die? Or a cool, curated thrift shop, you know? Like, they've got, like, uh... Either one of those. They got all the stuff. And uh, this hat, like any other hat, does not look good on me. <laughs> I think great. I think your hat looks good on you. You look good in the hat. I like a rope hat. That, I, like, I like this yeah, thing. These have the traditional... Let's trade hats. I want to see if the white hat looks better on me. They have the rope across the front, like... Um, Are um, you a flat-brimmed asshole? I tend to curve my brim. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think these are these are good hats. And they say Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which is also very good. We're obligated to take these out on tour with us now. These were $40 each? God. This is a... Vintage headwear is expensive. Did this company just send us these hats, or did did somebody buy them and have them sent by the company? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. I think that Bill said something about this specific sender in our Slack. Let me let me just pull up our uh, our mail call. This might make for a good golf hat. What would you make of a person who rolled up? I think it's with a, a good... Star Trek Five hat. No, I think it's a good golf hat. Alex, care of Laundry PDX, is who sent this, and we really appreciate it. I love this hat. It's a good hat. It's real good. Are I you gonna, gonna say? Are the, you gonna stay with the white one? The black hat looks really good on you. I think neither of these look good on me. I think I I think it look good in both, Adam. And I and I'm not I'm not just saying that. I think I think you're a handsome gentleman in a hat. Kinda wanna flick my rope a little bit. Mm. It gives me something to do. I wanna shoot your rope. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this has been a code forty seven and now we are going to pivot into episode and uh Boy, what an episode we've got, Adam. It's the final episode of season six. It's season six, episode 26. Unimatrix Zero, part one. Fuck, I misread that. It's part one. It is. You probably confused it with the dog farts being ripped in here. Yeah. Thanks, Darwin. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. Ben, do you have a sleep app on your on your phone or on your watch? 
Because I have one on mine, and it keeps track of when my REMs happen. I do, and my uh, my REMs tend to only happen when I'm visiting, what is that, Athens, Georgia? <laughs> mm, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Good pull. Yeah, you get a lot of close-ups on the eyelids in this episode. This first one really betrays how thick the makeup is when you're a Borgs. This is tough. This yeah. is a rough ride. Tough ride. You know, it's like you, you zoom in on Borg City, you zoom in on Borg Eye, and by the time you're really, really close on Borg Eye, you're just like, <laughs> I really love how you're taught what the scale of Borg City is by virtue of the cube. You roll a cube through there and you understand. Cubes are little compared to Borg City. And I know. the entrepreneur is little compared to cubes. So yeah. Borg City big. Therefore, Borg City big. Ergo. <laughs> There's a Borg's drone having a malfunction. And uh, he's brought through the vagina door into the queen's chamber. Yeah. Where uh, he gets to watch her get ready. This is a power move, right? Oh, it takes so long to get ready. When you're permitted when you're a queen. to watch her get ready. I know, but 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 queens, we know this. Queens take their time getting ready. She really relishes in crushing this guy's balls over and over again yeah. about what he may not know. Like, torture doesn't work. We've known that for a long time, but this seems like a presumption of torture yeah. to come. She's talking about an illness, a thing that is afflicting him and she wants to know the interlink sequence that binds him to the other sickos if you will and he's like i don't know i don't know man i don't i don't remember nothing and he can't really help her and she does not enjoy being denied what she wants she takes great umbrage with this to the extent that she shuts his link to the collective. He's alone all of a sudden. And this is like being naked, right? When you're a drone. I know how uncomfortable that can be. Aren't you Archie Leach? That's one of the worst things that can happen to you. It's really interesting how like Borg's democratization is weaponized here. Like everyone's the same except the queen. And the queen gets to torture him and also like sexually titillate him don't didn't you get the like the sexualization of this scene a little bit there is a thing that is carried over from star trek colon first contact with the borg queen which is that she's always kind of like slinking around and being a sexy little minx was that good for you in a way that Sort of made sense with Data in that movie. But in First Contact, I don't think anyone wanted to fuck her. And in this sequence, I feel like this Beck Bennett drone <laughs> kind of wants to. Like, there's a little bit of that edge to this scene. Right. Like, he fucking loves this shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of relishing yeah. in it. I mean, who among us has not, in a non-sexual moment, told our wife that we would love for her to demand the interlink sequence from us during. He does not remember <laughs> the frequency. <laughs> and uh, this is bad news for him. What he does not know 
is that he's about to lose his head over this. Yeah, he's going to get dismantled for his trouble, and uh, they're going to dig something out of his head to find out uh, what that sequence is. After the theme, Seven of Nine visits her local home center, (laughs) where she sees some other customers, one of which calls her by her name. (laughs) Axum would like to talk to her about some of the deciduous and coniferous planting options that are available for her region of the country in terms of what grows best. Now, depending on which home center you visit, if you happen to be wearing an orange top and beige bottoms, you may be confused with someone who works at the store. (laughs) Either way, you should be able to ask which zone you're living in and (laughs) what herbs and... (laughs) And decorative plants will grow well in your gut. This is effectively a nightmare for Seven of Nine, just as it would be for me. Don't bother me while I'm trying to shop at the home center. Yeah. I'm there to do business. Yeah. Um, it's confusing, right? Because there's like, she sees like a group of loafy aliens and like one of them like disappears mid-conversation. And then uh, she meets Axum and like. Here's the question. Knowing what you know later about Axum, mm-hmm. should this be a sexy dream? Oh, like uh, like she wets the charging pad? See, um, I regret actually asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> because Seven wakes up in this regeneration chamber and she is not feeling great about this. So she heads to Six Bay, where the doctor is always like this, like, the doctor plays the note that does not fit with the patient's general deal because the doc is congratulating her on this thing mm-hmm. that Seven is not happy to be in Six Bay for. She wants to know what it means, and the doctor's excited to find out with her, except the doctor's not invited to find out with her. She wants it to go away. Please repair my cortical array. This isn't a malfunction, Seven. It's baby's first dream. Yeah. She doesn't like dreaming. I mean, it's not her first dream because she's been human before, before being Borgs. Yeah. But it's like now that she's suddenly human again. The doctor's like, hey, this is you. I'm going to give you a thing to measure this with. I'm going to fit you for a watch that tells you when you're an REM. And she's like, no, fuck that. Like, turn this shit off. I don't like it. And the doctor... Is like, no, this is great. Like, you can like learn a lot about your subconscious this way. Yeah. Before you know it, you look forward to climbing into your alcove each night. And so he really encourages it. This is the first of two scenes in a row that involve a character not really reading the room. Mm. Because on the bridge, Paris arrives for work exactly 10 seconds late or whatever. And he walks like much like a like a football player during training camp, like Running the tires. Oh, yeah. He runs the ball kickers all the way to his station. (laughs) Paris is in the uh, off-season combine and catching a ton of heat for being late. Janeway loves this shit. She like had so much- She likes acting mad, doesn't she? She had so much fun doing this when it was Tuvok's birthday that she got the whole bridge crew involved. She's like, oh my God, this is so fun. Take your station. This is not fun for Paris, who finally sees, like, a little box on his seat. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Just sit on it? If I had been through what Paris had been through just to get to work that day, 
I'd be like, fine, I'm sitting on this box. I'm not mentioning it to anyone. But instead he does. And inside the box is a pip representing his reinstatement to Lieutenant Junior Grade. Yeah, he got his pip back. And uh, I did like that Kim spoke up about how weird it is that it's been this long and nobody's even thought about what his rank might be at I this love, point. On the DVD, like Janeway gets a scene here where she's like, Harry, you get your pips in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> and we all seem to understand that. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. I didn't notice the little box on my chair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. It's so important to find meaning outside the workplace, right? And that's what that's what Harry Kim will have to do forever. Yeah. There's like 127 some odd people stationed aboard the ship presumably roughly 50 percent of them are available for sexual dalliances with harry kim he's gonna get his pips potentially available for a sexual dalliance is an asteroid calling in distress yeah they got to go to this thing and once they roll up it is real ants on a rock vibes they this thing kind of rolls over into view they're like hey Maybe we made it in time. And the and the asteroid rolls over and it's just a bloody mist into space. <laughs> I sent. None. I'm detecting residual weapon signatures. They're Borg. And Janeway's like, oh, maybe not. Nothing has ever looked more russet potato-y than this asteroid. Yeah. Do you think this is one of the potatoes from the science fair from before and they're oh. recycling it? They like they were like, well, we already built these models. Let's just repaint this as an asteroid. You have to at this point, right? I don't know. Look, the thing that makes me think maybe not is the domes. They do show the fucked up domes. Sometimes you want a fucked up dome, though. Harry Kim is depending like depending on the mood. I've had fucked up dome in my life, but this is ridiculous. Of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm going to say this once. One interesting thing about this Borg's attack is that it is not an a scoop kind of attack. They didn't scoop the potato. They leave the dome behind. Yeah. That's how you know you're not in the mood, when you reject the dome. Not tonight, Borgs. Yeah. There is a cube on the edge of the system. Yeah. So presumably this maybe is who was attacking the potato when the potato <laughs> sent the distress signal. I feel like Star Trek rarely does this with time, which is like, oh, Two hours is too late to respond to a distress call. Like, the passage of time is so meaningful here in a way that you would feel like it would be most of the time because space is big. Space hella big. Yeah. You just won't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. And potatoes, very small. So small. Unless it's a russet, sometimes those are pretty big. Yeah. But not space big, you know. In the alcove, seven is not looking forward to regeneration time. But she puts on the REM recorder anyway yeah, and gets right on in there. And goes to sleep, and she wakes up in the forest again. This time it's nighttime, and this is Unimatrix Zero. 
Axum is kind of the perfect name for a person you need information from. Mm. Just Axum. <laughs> He'll tell you. He yeah. has a really deep V also. He does. And uh, in this scene, we learn what Unimatrix Zero is. It's a, it's a club where she's been before, but she barely remembers. Yeah, but it's like that kind of club where if you remember being there, maybe you weren't really there, man. They find a boy together who remembers a Borg's attack and is trying to find his family. And when he leaves, Seven and Axum kind of talk to each other like, damn, that kid's just been assimilated, huh? That's kind of fucked up. Really fucked up. I feel really bad for this little little boy. But not bad enough to comfort him in any way. They just let him go. Yeah, they're like, uh, yeah, there's other kids here. Head off into the woods and you'll probably find them. The story with Unimatrix Zero is this. This is a forest that one in a million people have the chance to be a part of because of some sort of uh, genetic mutation. And they don't remember being there once they wake up. This is the crucial part. Like when you regenerate, you get to go to Unimatrix Zero. When you wake up, you don't remember it at all. If you're a very lucky Borgs, you get to spend your time on the charging mat in Unimatrix Zero. The queen wants to destroy this place because it detracts from her perfect worldview. And can Seven stop her? That's what Axum asks. And they have a nanovirus that they can deploy, but Axum can't do that because as soon as he wakes up, as has been already been stated, he cannot remember <laughs> to do that. Axum, or four of 12, or whatever. I too have experienced difficulty like this whenever i go to a club i do not remember exactly what i did that night sometimes i will choose to have tequila sodas all night other times i sneak into vip and enjoy bottle service with rich assholes axum actually has a really bad relationship with Unimatrix Zero because he is clearly unable to resist going there and instead wants a friend of his to destroy it. It's really sad. It's like Axum has identified that he has a problem with Unimatrix Zero. Yeah. But Axum doesn't recognize that he has a bunch of people in Unimatrix Zero that really love him (laughs) and care about him quite a bit. Yeah. When they go up to the like bluff and they're looking down on the on the kind of inlet of yeah. Unimatrix Zero where all the like tents are down below. Yeah. Does that look good to you? It looked a lot like Kaminar to me. It did. Yeah. Like like I agree. Saru would be right at home in Unimatrix Zero, yeah. which makes me think that maybe somebody should consider assimilating Saru. Yeah. Like, Whenever my ganglia get erect, I sense the coming of a of a camping vacation. <laughs> and I do not like that. Yeah. Like all they want from Seven is to help them conceal the existence of Unimatrix Zero mm-hmm. from the BQ. Yeah. And they're kind of pitching her on like, you know, you can do something about this because you remember that you were here when you wake up. And she's like, I do remember. And they're like, why did you say it like that? Axum's like, you know what? It's kind of fucked up that we've got Klingons around here and you're kind of doing Klingon voice. (laughs) (laughs) Their culture is not your costume, Seven. (laughs) 
back on that Borg's base that we saw at the beginning of the episode, they got that first drone's head on a stick. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out what the deal is with Unimatrix Zero. They don't have enough information from this guy. Like they they are not gentle with ripping parts out of this guy's head. Yeah. And they need more heads to harvest from, obviously. Yeah. Like, have you ever done, like, that type of shuffleboard they have in a bar where there's, like, a bunch of, like, salt on, like, a wood table and you're doing the little discs down there? Oh, yeah. That's, like, the powder. Yeah. That's what they pull out of this this head. And they're scanning that. They pull a Parmesan shaker full of Unimatrix powder. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, they're making progress on figuring out. Like, they, I think they figured out the carrier wave, but not the particular sequence the thing you gather from the Borg's queen here is that she will cut off head after head to get what she wants. Yeah. There's no amount of heads that would be too much for her. There's something very medieval about it, like like almost like she wants to put these heads on a pike outside the castle keep to like set an example. I mean, she has pikes in her weird lab. She has And they put these heads right on them. Since when do the Borgs even have that in their in their toolkit? Did they replicate Headpike? Does she seem cruel in a way that the earlier queens we've met are not? I don't know. I mean, that earlier one like made special skin for Data and then blew on it to give him... The Borgs do get goosebumps! This Borgs queen does not seem interested in blowing anyone. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's why Harry Kim doesn't fuck with her. Back in Unimatrix Zero, it's like a Civil War encampment there. Like, this for some reason is paradise to a Borgs. I guess anything is paradise to a Borgs that isn't the life of an assimilated person. Yeah, so Axum convinces Seven to help, but uh, that Klingon guy that she met earlier, Korok, who uh, for some reason gives her a seed that can be redeemed for expanded inventory later... (laughs) Doesn't like the idea. I'll rip your heart out. We learn here that dying in Unimatrix Zero isn't like the Matrix. You just wake up as a Borgs, and then when you go to sleep again, you're back in Unimatrix Zero. That's interesting. Yeah. We also get to meet Laura, who was at Wolf 359. And I like that Laura does not appear to be in Starfleet. Like, this goes to further confirm our deepest concerns that maybe Starfleet sent ships full of families to Wolf 359. Oh, that's interesting. Like, they didn't separate the saucer sections of so many ships. Yeah. There's no time. Yeah. They didn't have enough Geordies aboard who would think to do that. Yeah. What I really like about this character is that she has a Rachel haircut (laughs) <laughs> Which in this show means a Rachel Garrett haircut. <laughs> we'll make it one for the history books. Which I think is big fun. I know you will, Captain. Yeah, she has the Rachel. There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. So they're like talking and Axum disappears mid-sentence and wakes up and borgs out and... This is freaky because, like, we've just seen the Borg Queen, like, identify other drones that have this adaptation and identify their location. And it kind of feels like maybe this was Axum's last hurrah. And uh, we cut away to a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where Seven is pitching this idea of, like, we need to help these 
drones. Don't you like how we're dropping in on these McLaughlin groups part of the way in or at the very end or whatever? I like the decisions the show is making about like, we don't need to attend from the beginning. We don't need to be on time. It's very interesting because this one feels like maybe everybody had gotten up to leave and yeah. Seven was like one more thing. Yeah. Because it's also like kind of a long, steady tracking shot through and it's kind of revealing who all is there. And it's a funny like order of revealing who is in the room for it because like Chakotay is pretty late in the pan. Like, like oh yeah. like He you, would be. You would want... Chicote to be in the room for this, but also like not that important that Chicote's in the room for this. I love how annoying the doctor becomes with his like doctoring of adventure that he seems to be interested at all times. Yeah. Like, why won't you just go with whatever weird idea this is from Seven? Yeah. His co-signing is not enough in this moment. Harry Kim considers this to be a authentic EAM. Like this under Starfleet law counts as a distress signal, and therefore we have to respond to it. Don't you feel like this scene is so important for your appreciation of this episode? Because, like, say you get that Unimatrix Zero is real. Why should it matter is what this scene is all about. Yeah. And Kim's argument is it's Starfleet protocol. But man, <laughs> you really got to want this to ride for the mission afterward, right? Yeah. You got to believe that there is some upside at all. There's coffee in that potential weakness in the collective. I mean, at least Janeway is like, we've got to learn more before we take action. Like, like that's something I can get with, right? Like, she's not going, all right, Harry Kim, cool, let's do it. <laughs> At least she's like, let's find out more. That's something I could get with. Last I checked, Harry, you're still a fucking ensign. You're not even a lieutenant junior grade. Out of nowhere, Tuvok, like, takes an arm and shoves Harry Kim out of the way, and he's like, you know, I can bridge minds. Yeah. By using both hands. <laughs> like somehow, like no one asked for this. <laughs> Tuvok volunteers to bridge the minds of Janeway and Seven in such a way that would also put him in Unimatrix Zero yeah. as kind of a, 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 a witness to it. Tuvok more or less says after... Five seasons of doing almost nothing but melding minds, and then one season of doing no mind melding. It would be a great way to cap this season off if I could do a super mind meld. I have chaperoned many high school dances. <laughs> I believe I am fully equipped to shine a flashlight between. <laughs> I mean, we don't get that Janeway has agreed to this until in the corridor when she tells Chakotay that he's got the con. And Chakotay in this scene is like, look, I can do more for this storyline if you want, like a lot more. And, yeah. and Janeway's like, no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to have the ship. If I could have some stuff to do, like that would be cool too. And she's like, no, no, no. 
<laughs> there's no preparation that needs to be done because it's basically it basically goes from McLaughlin Group to Corridor to Borg's alcove, where Tuvok scrubs in yeah. to his double face meld. Yeah, while the EMH like belly aches about how dangerous this is or whatever. Yeah. Like I feel like the EMH is there to say things are dangerous without really selling that they are. It's because Tuvok can't say that for himself. Yeah. I mean, it uh, it does sort of worry me when Tuvok is like, I saw a guy do this once. <laughs> yeah, it's got real after school, high school vibes, you know? <laughs> yeah. So Janeway arrives in Unimatrix Zero where she meets not Seven of Nine, but Annika, who is... Without dolphin and is in a you know festively colored romper or whatever. She's like, "Hey, I'm Annika and I'm hot now, <laughs> and this is how I talk." Yeah. Back with the Borg's queen, she's got another couple heads on sticks. Yeah. And uh, she thinks she has the frequency isolated for the Unimatrix zeros that she's been hunting down, but. Nothing she can do turns it off. Like her goal up until now, turn off Unimatrix Zero. At this point, she's like, I can't turn it off. Maybe I can get in there and destroy it from inside. Yeah. She uh, is very frustrated. Probably the crankiest we've seen her since Data fired those torpedoes and didn't hit the Phoenix. I mean... I don't want to predict the future of this episode or the bottom of the cliff that we fall to after, but like, she seems like she could use a Harry Kim in her life, mm. right? Yeah. He was stating the obvious again. She could use getting it knocked out a little bit. Like, how many wraps could that metallic spinal column take around that crank? <laughs> <laughs> Probably four. Would a freshly fucked Borg's Queen be as worked up about Unimatrix Zero as this one is? Because it doesn't seem like that big a threat, right? And also the Borg's Queen seems capable of feeling enjoyment from things. She That's like kind of her there. main thing. She, she should go hang out. Yeah. What's stopping her? She decides that might be the solution. Meanwhile, we go to Unimatrix Zero where Janeway is kind of talking to Axum about the idea of like, maybe the solution isn't hiding better. Maybe the solution is fighting back. And he's like, did you hear the thing about it's one in one million? Like each one of us would have to kill 900,000. I didn't do the math here, but it seems like there's 14 people in Unimatrix Zero. Yeah, there's not a, not a whole ton. What are we trying to save here? Yeah, and... Uh, in the midst of this, drones start materializing in the Unimatrix. And didn't you like this scene? It was great. Like Borg's in the mist. Yeah. Terrifying. What are they doing there? What are you doing here? Yeah. I love how the Borg's queen is able to watch from her sports bar, like all the action. Yeah. From all the different stadiums. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> The BQ Dub Three, I think it's called. She's watching Red Zone. Yeah, she's eating chicken wings and uh, drinking a brewski. Don't you love that? Like assimilation nodules mean you're erased from Unimatrix Zero. You go back into your alcove, and that is the moment the Queen knows 
where you are in the Borg's universe. Your location is revealed. Yeah, at that that's point. wild. But like that, they don't describe that with any detail. You're like, you just see it happen, I think is great. It's really well done. They're very lucky that the Klingon Korok has a Batleth with him because that is very useful for striking down these drones that keep showing up in Unimatrix Zero. But uh, Korok gets sidelined after taking out a whole bunch of them, and Janeway has to pick up the Batleth and start doing her own fighting. And this is when, back in the sports bar, the BQ sees Janeway flinging that Batleth around and realizes she's got a much bigger problem on her hands. When you select Janeway in the Street Fighter arcade cabinet, (laughs) I feel like there's only one button for Janeway, and that is like the upward thrust of the Batleth. She's only got one move. Tiger uppercut. I mean, she's not six foot seven, you know? Like, upward thrust is where most of her enemies are going to be. You win. I just think that the idea of Korok dropping his Batleth is seen as like, a hero rises kind of move. Yeah. That isn't actually <laughs> what takes place here. I've got to get that platinum. Get that roll metal argument. I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you selling a heist? Gold. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. 
<laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back on the Voyager Bridge, Janeway and Tuvok are back, and Janeway is upset with how things went, mostly because I was only given one move, one button, (laughs) just an upward thrust (laughs) of the batleth. It does not seem fair. She starts talking to Chakotay about what mean Unimatrix Zero and their weird access to it via Seven, and she kind of feels like this is a big opportunity. Like we could help the zeros take action to defend themselves in the real world and thereby sort of take the Borgs off the playing field as rivals to the Federation. But she's manipulating him, right? Because she's like, uh, you haven't had much to do lately. (laughs) And I know you still want to fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. What would you do if you disagreed with me in this moment, Chakotay? Leave that pencil alone for just a moment and let's talk about this. (laughs) I really like Chakotay here because he sees the big picture. He's like, I want to get home, but I also want to kill some fucking Borgs and maybe all the Borgs. Yeah. What's more important to me in this moment? Risking all of us feels worth it for that. I mean, if you're going to give me nothing to do, risking all of this kind of makes some sense to me. It's fucking wild that Janeway is like, you better fucking agree with me on this. Like, it's not, it's not like I'm not going to do this if you don't agree with me on it. It's like, you have to agree with me on it, period. <laughs> you know, But in that way that's like, I'll do it anyway, I would feel a little bad about it. But I really need you to ride with me on this. Yeah. It does not seem he ha- like he has any choice. You're right. They go down to Six Bay where the EMH and BLT have used information that they got from Axum to create a new version of this like Borg's virus that like the original version hid the signal 
that the BQ is looking for. And this new updated version will change the drones that experience Unimatrix Zero so that when they wake up from their recharge, they remember Unimatrix Zero. Isn't it totally unclear about whether or not this is a good thing at this point? I am not sure if being able to remember would make anyone happier in the long run. Kern wakes up at his TSA job and he's like, I hate this job. (laughs) I remember how bullshit this is. This whole thing. I should be a favorite uncle to Alexander. Instead, all I can think about is that my dishonored brother is also a terrible father and I have a dead-end gig. This is where the plan starts to get bad, right? He works, he's on Bajor too. Like yeah. he's not even on Klingon. No, he's not on Klingon. He's definitely on Bajor. Kronos. Fuck. I'm going to get Star Trek canceled for that. That's just when Star Trek nerds stop caring about you. I really love the idea that this is some big win. Like, hey, you're going to wake up and know how fucked up things are. Yeah. So they have to get this into the central plexus of a Borg ship. It's the grundle of any cube. Yeah. Any cube. But the closest cube is a class four tactical cube. And this is a problem because this is basically the most impenetrable cube there is. It's like doing a, a like a, a heist on Fort Knox, you know? Yeah. Like it is described as being like a particularly tough nut to crack. And Janeway is not really concerned about how difficult this is going to be. She really should be, because who would know better than Seven? And Seven tells her in the corridor that, uh, you know, I should really not be a part of this mission. I'm going to go back to Unimatrix Zero and tell them the cavalry is coming because of this insane idea you have. And the captain is like, you know, when we were in there, I liked how much not a stiff and impersonable character you were. Have you ever considered doing more of that? You got to be careful when you notice a personality change in someone. You got to be careful about like praising that too much Mm -hmm. because you never know what the engine of that might be. (laughs) And that's what's happening here. Janeway's like, I like this version of you. And Seven Inside is like, you have no idea what I had to do to myself (laughs) to become this version. Yeah. So back in Unimatrix Zero, we learned that there are skirmishes happening all the time. Like the Klingons and the Banes are kind of the foot soldiers of the Unimatrix Zero people, and they're like fighting off the drones that keep showing up. Did you ever wonder what weapons were available to you in Unimatrix Zero? Like, could you just conjure a weapon? If you are a Bane, do you get Bane weapons? And if you're a Klingon, do you get Klingon weapons? Or could you just make up a BFG? <laughs> Because you wanted one. Right. If you can imagine your dolphin away, you should be able to imagine anything into the situation also. Precisely. And I think this was my main issue with this episode, is that you don't really know what the rules of Unimatrix Zero are. Yeah. You probably know the answer to this. Did they ever answer this in the second part? I don't remember the second part. All right. 
Okay. I'm very drunk right now, Adam. More and more drones keep arriving, and this is a problem in Unimatrix Zero. Axum and Seven duck out of the way, and yeah. they and they watch these drones fucking feast on people. They did a lot of uh, work smoking up this Sears Garden Center so that the lasers that the Borgs all have mounted to their heads really like pop in the mist. You know, this is like like in Greece or whatever when you take the convertible up to the cliff mm. with with your special person for mm-hmm. makeouts. Except everything that's happening in the city below are like drones attacking and assimilating <laughs> people in your city. This is what's happening here because Axum puts his arm around Seven and he's like, hey, we fucked kind of a lot over the last six years. <laughs> I never wanted to tell you before, but it seems like now's the moment while we're watching these tubules ram into all these throats. Yeah. I don't know what made me think of it. It's just tubules running into throats. Yeah, and like sometimes they'll like hit the tubule into the throat and they'll pull it back out and then they'll go back in and then they'll pull it back out and then they'll go back in. It's surprising how poorly Seven takes this news that that they'd been an item for a long time. And this is an episode... smooch in. It's an episode that truly believes that... Seven is in the right for rejecting this. But I feel like Axum is like, hey, we were a thing and I know it's uncomfortable, but I got to tell you that we were that. Yeah. He's not the bad guy here. It's not like he's trying to make out with her again, right? No, she's the one that kisses him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then like one of the people that's getting tubules into their throat is like, oh yeah, that's that's working, and then the Borg drone that's doing it like speeds up and starts tubuling them harder, and they're like, no, 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 come on, back it off, back it off. Just keep doing what you were doing. I was saying that was working, not change everything about what you were doing. <laughs> so we finally get to see this tactical cube, and it's like a Borg's cube with big-ass slabs of beefy armor on the outside. I like this cube. It's, I think is this the coolest cube? It's a very cool cube. It's great. I, I mean, we've never seen like a variation on a cube. We've seen a sphere. You know what this cube reminds me of is like the portable hard drive that's made for like taking out in the field and like dropping. Yeah, yeah. Like you could do videography at Burning Man with this cube. This is that kind of cube. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Janeway's like, great, suicide mission. It's just me. I'm taking the Delta Flyer. It's weird because Janeway usually likes to take the ship down with her. That's not the case here. No. She wants a solo mission. She's going to take Tom Paris's special ship down with her. And Tuvok and BLT kind of insist on going along. They kind of quote Starfleet directives at her, both real and imagined. Yeah. And she rejects these. Until Chakotay kind of insists as well. And he's like, you know, Polana's kind of uh, gotten involved with Tom Paris, which I'm not super crazy about. And Tuvok betrayed me in one of the deepest ways that anybody has ever betrayed me. So I really do think that they should go along with you. Mid-argument, the lights flicker. And uh, it's at this point that the Borg's queen gets on FaceTime on the bridge. So Janeway rushes up there and comes face to face with the Borg's queen that we met in the beginning of the episode. She wants to do a trade. Transwarp technology 
for minding your own fucking business. <laughs> and Janeway's like, no dice. Not a chance. This has been an entire series about me having the option to get home quicker laid out in front of me for a minor downside that is mainly just an ethical quibble that might keep me up at night for one night maximum. And I will never take that option. If Janeway took this deal, she would be 70 years from the consequences. She would be long dead. (laughs) And... By not taking this deal, she puts Harry Kim in some sort of fucked up danger. This doesn't even involve Harry Kim. Borg Queens is like, I'm coming for you first, Harry Kim. And Harry's like, what the fuck did I do? Yeah, I don't even, I have one pip. What are you talking about? Harry Kim's the kid that answers the phone while the parents are out, like at dinner. And the person on the other line is like, I'm going to fucking kill you. He didn't do anything to deserve this. Not only does he do nothing to deserve this, he also does nothing to deserve nobody giving a fuck that that just happened and nobody mentioning it for the rest of the episode. It's really painful, I think, if you're Harry Kim to go through this. (laughs) He's not going to get in a pip. He's not getting rescued from whatever the Borg's queen wants to do with him. (laughs) Speaking of second string characters on the show, Paris expresses some discomfort with the idea of BLT going on the mission. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. We're basically not even really in a real relationship. So much about the prep for the mission is about the acceptance that it's a suicide mission from Janeway and everyone around her. Yeah. It's crazy how like up until the moment it's time to go, Janeway's on the bridge and she's like, I've never held your hand before, Chakotay, mostly because it's filled with pencils. <laughs> but now that it's empty, I will hold it and say goodbye. Yeah. You could have had this if you've been a little bit more aggressive. She reaches out and he puts his hand in the palm of hers and goes, <sighs> Well, I guess this is it. Chicote puts a pad in front of his his jug. <laughs> what do you see, Tuvok? Two Starfleet officers with juvenile imaginations. It really feels like a big moment, right? Like a last time I see you moment. Yeah. Did you get this sense? Like, I think the comparison is going to be drawn with the best of both worlds moment where like Picard's gone. Yeah. He never got a chance to say goodbye. He kind of saw it as a losing battle up until the moment he's gone. Like, the parallels are there, except Janeway seems to have a choice in the matter. She has a huge choice in the matter. She goes in willingly, and when we go back to Unimatrix Zero, Annika is there talking to the other drones about, like, okay, you're going to wake up after this thing happens, and you're going to remember this. You need to be cool. You need to maintain. But this is such an insane plan because Seven's like, you're going to wake up and you're going to know. No further details will be given at this time. (laughs) Like, what are they supposed to do? They're just supposed to act as if and then wait to get regenerated again to be back in Unimatrix Zero? It's weird as hell. And also, Axum, keep it in your fucking pants. This is over. You and me... 
We're fucking done. Has anybody ever broken up with you by saying our previous friendship is irrelevant? Well, now that I'll be able to retain my memory, I'll keep that in mind. It doesn't need to be this public if you're seven. <laughs> like, she's basically making the halftime speech to the team, and she's like looking at the quarterback going, no, <laughs> we're going to the backup yeah. in the second half. Yeah. Really just killing the vibe. For, Axum for does Axum. not deserve this, no. I don't think. Hey, did Axum do everything right? I think he did. Yeah. It's really harsh. But also, breaking up is hard. There's never like a perfect moment, you know? There's no perfect moment to attack the tactical cube, but it is now that Voyager does this. She's yeah. got the Delta Flyer. Can we call it the hypercube? No. No, tactical I don't think so. Cube? Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they buzz it and they start shooting at it and we get to see this from like a distance out the front windscreen of the Delta Flyer. I like this. Yeah. And uh, Voyager has to basically like soften up the shielding on the uh, hyper, I mean the tactical cube. They succeed after, you know, really getting the shit kicked out of them for a while. There's a real best of both worlds vibe to this mission, right? Like cruising in unpowered kind yeah. of floating yeah the the delta flyer cuts all its energy and coasts in it's also very the previous episode of this series in that way yeah but uh yeah like the bq is like watching all of this and going like this is a shitty plan they they came up with a bad plan i'm so disappointed in my arch nemesis Catherine janeway but uh they beam out of the Delta Flyer just in time because it is getting destroyed by the tactical cube. Don't you wish there was a bigger react from Paris when the Delta Flyer is destroyed and, and the three are beamed onto the Borg ship? Yeah, like like if he'd been like, why, God, no! Like, and, and like Harry had been like, I'm getting three life signs aboard the tactical cube. And Paris is like, no, Fuck! Oh, God! And Harry's like, no, BLT survived. And he's like, I know! I lost my ship and she survived! No! Interesting tone to this whole thing, right? Because there is not any desperation to the idea that Delta Flyer is destroyed and the three are beamed onto the Borg ship. Things seem to be going as planned. Yeah. And they like, shoot a couple of Borg drones and then they shoot a couple more and those ones have adapted. And it's like, yeah, we've seen a bunch of Borg episodes before. We know how this works. And the hypercube, I mean, the tactical cube starts targeting the warp core of the Voyager. The away team gets trapped between some force fields, which is also something that happened in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What a warmed over Star Trek ideas in this episode. One very new idea in this episode is the cliff we hang from at the end, which is that BLT, Tuvok, and Janeway all receive identical haircuts <laughs> before the end of the episode. Are the Borgs a cult? Amazing ending. Like when you see them assimilated with the tubules, it looks so painful. Like the performances by these three are great. Yeah. I really do feel something here. I do too. And I I love the tension between how awful that seems and Chicote and Paris talking and Chicote being like, all right, 
this is going good. I will say that's the thing I don't like about this, especially at the end, is how, according to plan, this whole moment appears to be. When I think you could make it according to plan after a summer off. Like, I want to live in the question a little longer than before. It's the order of that that doesn't quite work for me. But does the episode as a whole work for you, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I thought this episode was pretty exciting. And I have to say that, like, the back half of season six has been fairly replete with bangers. Mm. But when you end your season and you go to your summer break and your big cliffhanger, when I am become Cliff Kid, I cannot laugh out loud at the way the captain looks in the last shot of the episode. It's the one thing you can't do. And... I don't know what it is about it. Like it is it, whether it's just the bald cat. I, I think that like if they'd covered one of her eyes or done something, I think Locutus was so well executed because it was such an upsetting mutilation of Picard. Mutilation is the word. And what I wanted, I won't say it's what I wanted to see, but I think what I needed to see for the scene to be effective was like people on tables being assimilated Like I needed restraints or I needed limbs getting cut off. Like I needed the full Borg's package here. Just to like cut from tubules to walking around, it seemed too tame. This is a class four tactical cube, (laughs) Ben. We should be able to bring it a little harder than this. (laughs) Than with fucking clippers with the guard cut off. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) How the fuck are they using a Floby on, on BLT? Don't like it. <laughs> I I was with this episode until we saw, like, I think that Borg Tuvok and Borg LT are very effective, but Droneway, not effective. I think it's addition by subtraction here. Take Janeway out of it completely. Don't show me her. Yeah. Save it for after the summer. Save it for after the summer. That's a great edit. So that's sort of where I'm at on this episode. I'm in exactly the same spot. Really fun episode. Really good tension. Unfortunate things happen to Axum. I got some questions for Axum. Yeah. Well, you you can always find out your answers (laughs) when it comes to Axum. Ben, what I really need to do is pee in the worst way. I'm going to go do that. Go pee. And uh, when you come back, we will check in on the Priority One inbox. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message here is of a promotional nature and goes like this. I'm not selling anything. But what my theory presupposes is a promotional P1 is appropriate if promoting the idea that maybe you could come to Southeast Virginia next tour instead of, Adam, insert puking noise here, (sighs) Washington, D.C. again. You already did all the real cities, guys. As the 37th largest metro area in the U.S., we have stuff. Okay, no, but we have FODs galore, and we're actually bigger than, I don't know, Milwaukee? Or better than D.C., at least. 
Well, our traffic is. See you next time. Alex in Norfolk yeah. is suggesting that we don't go to Washington, D.C., a place that has turned out for us every single time. Maybe we could go to Norfolk in addition to D.C. No! No? Alex, come to D.C. Maybe somebody could get us a tour of like a cool like Navy ship that's being built. That'd be fun. That'd be I'd cool. go to a shipyard. There's shipyards there. I've been there. The shipyards are fun. I went to a Target warehouse there one time for a job where they were testing robots that were going to replace people's gerbs. Neat. <laughs> Alex, I got to tell you, I want to let you down easy. We do great in Washington, D.C. It's, a, it's, it's, it's cons- one of the few places we do great. Consistently good for us in a way that the rest of the U.S. is less and less so. We can't fuck this up. <laughs> I appreciate the enthusiasm with which you're suggesting Norfolk. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, unless the places we go in Washington, D.C. decide not to entertain us anymore, this seems far-fetched. We should look at the numbers. Maybe we should go to South Carolina. We should go to the research triangle. Yeah. We've heard this many times, but um we'll give some consideration. Alex, I do appreciate you, your desire. Maybe we'll do a uh, Ben and Adam lose their shirts tour someday where we go to cities where we will spend way more on getting there and paying for hotel rooms than we earn. At the box office. Friends of DeSoto will notice what I'm doing on camera and nodding furiously. <laughs> no. How about no? No, we will not do oh, that. Oh, you don't want to do a Lose Your Shirts tour? Okay, fine. Not this time. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Louie. It's to David. That message goes like this. Thanks for giving Alyssa, me, and our special guests a tour of the White House. When we came to D.C. for the live show this weekend, your tour provided ample knobs and dome, (laughs) as well as a secret room where you can insert yourself into three different holes. But seriously, thanks for 21 years of friendship in Star Trek. I hope for many more. Oh, Louie and David were uh, very fun companions on our tour of the White House. I mean, David was leading the tour. Yeah. David had that kind of modesty that's like, I'm really terrible at giving tours. You're going to hate this. And instead gave us a incredible tour. It was like at all times. It was like Jungle Cruise level tour where like there was there was patter. There were bits. Don't try to out false modesty Benjamin R. Harrison. Okay, in a false modesty measuring contest. You're never going to win that. You're going to fucking lose and lose royally. Yeah. David and Louie were uh, were delights, and uh, uh, so was Alyssa, and uh, Bill and Wendy and Adam and I were so thrilled to get to go on that tour of the White House. That was... Really, really thank you for that, David. A Thanks. Ca- a career highlight. So cool that this embarrassing Star Trek podcast got us into the halls of power one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really I mean, on an off day when no one was there, but... Nope. That would be how we get in there. <laughs> <laughs> While the cats are away, the dorks will play. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, if you'd like to send a priority one message, go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. If you do it now, you've got a really good chance of getting one 
in the soon hereafter. We got a, a fairly open calendar, unusually so. Get in there. I'm guessing that there's just a bunch of pent up messages that Danny Baduela at the network hasn't added to the spreadsheet yet, but uh, I'm looking at a bunch of open inventory, so go for it. We really appreciate it. Sure do. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a assimilated Shimoda? <laughs> Drunk Shimoda! I'd love to make my Shimoda one of the heads on the sticks. Uh-huh. So many heads on sticks this episode. I gotta say, season six of Star Trek Voyager is such a rocky Janeway season. There are really moments of triumph for her, but I would say mostly a down Janeway season and a down Chakotay season for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's Janeway for me here. Does she want to die? Do you want to die, Captain Janeway? Why are you doing this? You don't have to. You just got in touch with Starfleet. They want to help you out. Month to month, they're going to give you information. Why are you going to do this? Why did you do that? (laughs) I think everything goes back to that McLaughlin group. Like, is this convincing enough? Is policy convincing enough to sacrifice yourself for between 14 and 26 Borgs living in a hollow universe that is Unimatrix Zero. Yeah. Like, if what they really want to do is destroy all Borgs everywhere, that doesn't seem too explicit. It seems this is a episode of adventure in a way that I wish was a little more motivated. And it's all up to Janeway to decide that. And I don't, I'm just not sure this is articulated enough for that. It's really cool and it gives us a really spectacular kind of cliff to hang on at the end. But if you just think about it a little bit more, why are we here? That's where I'm at with it. What about you, Ben? I'm giving it to Janeway as well, but it's really just because of that loaf that they put her in at the end. It it just If you can't nail it, you got to save it for the next season. You do not want to be laughing at the loaf. Nope. Laughing with the loaf is fine. Laughing at, no good. Like whenever you get a new haircut, what cannot happen is a laugh. (laughs) It has to at least be neutral. Yeah. And we can't be neutral about this. Can't. Can not. We also can't be neutral about our next episode of this show. That one will be the one where we cover... Season seven, episode one, Unimatrix Zero, part two. That has to be the most numbers dense. It's too many numbers. Episode title, and yeah. Season of any, hey, and it start the description even starts with a number. Seven's long lost love lures Janeway into a deadly encounter with the Borg Queen. So it sounds like Axum is back for more. It kind of sounds like when you put it that way, Janeway has been lured into a trap. No? <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess you could say so. Adam, our runabout is currently on square five. Looks like we could hit a caretaker square here on the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. It's weird to be way down here again, huh? 
Yeah, we're all the way back at the bottom. It's not safe here, though. No. No, no, nowhere is safe. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. What do you say? Debt. Oh, my God. I rolled a five. We have landed on the caretaker, I believe, for the first time. told to trust the caretaker's decisions. <laughs> I have initiated a self-destruct program. Oh, no. Oh, well, uh, oh, no. Aren't you contentious for a minor bipedal species? And the caretaker is the square where we jump now to a random square. We have a 100-sided die now, and we could end up anywhere on the board. And we have to do this now? This isn't something that happens at the end of the next episode? No, this happens now. Holy shit. Yeah. Hold on to your butts. All right, I'm going to hit roll. Where are we? Fuck, we've landed on square 21. Alamarin! A his eyes uncovered square in which the host must employ Tamarian-style metaphors during the episode. This is an FOD favorite. Mm-hmm. We hear it all the time. I'm just glad it didn't throw us right onto another Mornhammered episode. Yeah. That would have been rough. I was just listening to a recent uh, Adam Ragusea episode where he was talking about going to Phoenix and taking a flyer on having the address of the guy he thought might have written Darmok and going and knocking on the front door of that house and thereby landing an interview for his back-in-the-day podcast with the guy that wrote Darmok. We might need to get Adam Ricusia on the uh, on the Marin for next episode, see if he can talk us through how to do this. I mean, I absolutely think we should do that, but not in a way that we're, like, asking for advice, because that seems like a terrible idea. The Goose has got great advice to give. And yet he's achieved great success. Yeah. Beyond the dreams of avarice. <laughs> Maybe that's what it takes. Yeah. Some cold knocking. Metaphor. Yeah. Gotta go knock on some doors. Well, um, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, sorry for how drunk we were on this one, everyone. I don't apologize. It's the board's fault. It is the board's fault. The board has really been wild lately, landing us a caretaker square like that. It's true. crazy. Yeah. Just a few thanks to give out before the end of the episode. Of course, first and foremost... Gotta thank Wendy Pretty, the producer and editor of this show, who has a big, chunky episode to edit, and we're, I think, two two big, chunky episodes in now, so... Uh, I look forward to editing this on an airplane. <laughs> you think it's going to fall to you? As it sometimes does. I'll, I'll jump on that grenade. You don't need to do this one. That would be surprising. <laughs> Fuck! Damn. Absolutely top rope right there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a baby. My- We're gonna do the Randy Savage <laughs> handshake at the end of this. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we gotta thank all the friends of DeSoto who support what we do on a monthly basis. Five bucks a month is not that much money. And that is really all we ask if you can head to maximumfund.org slash join and set up a sustaining membership you will get access to our bonus feed which we add new stuff to every month 
and we will have just a little bit more financial security, which I think uh, everybody knows how much a content creator appreciates in this date and time. We've got to thank Bill Tilly, who runs the Greatest Trek social media accounts at Greatest Trek all over the goddamn internet and uh, all the moderators and admins of the various groups that uh, have arisen surrounding our show. Uh, Lots of hard work being done to make those the fun social places that they are, like surprisingly and shockingly asshole-free, the greatest gen groups on the internet. Asshole and sucker-free. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, you know, like drunkshamoto.com if you're a Discord person, greatest gen on Facebook or Reddit. Whatever you do, there's probably a gathering place for you, and uh, I encourage you to check those out. Got to thank the goose who, uh, you know, maybe we can talk into coming on for a moment for next episode. There's no way he's too busy for that. No way at all. Uh, And uh, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, in which uh, former loves of Ben and Adam do not lure us into confrontations with the Borg's Queen because they're in Canada you wouldn't know them (laughs) they go to a different high school Maximum Fun A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.